Jigsaw puzzles can be fun, can't they? Grab uh, hundreds and hundreds of different pieces and you put them together and you make one big picture. They can be lots of fun. Okay, there's a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. Um, now, without the whole picture, hard to make sense of that, that piece of the puzzle, isn't it? You haven't got the whole picture. You don't know all the other pieces. You don't know how it all fits together. But when you get the whole picture, you now can make sense of that individual piece of the jigsaw puzzle. You now know it's part of a, what is it, 16-piece jigsaw, but Taj Mahal. Individual piece of a jigsaw puzzle, can't make sense of it. Get the whole picture and you know how it all fits together and how your individual piece fits into the Bible is a bit like that. The Bible is, has lots and lots of individual bits in it and you can't make sense of the individual bits unless you know how it fits into the whole big picture. We're starting a series this morning in the book of Deuteronomy. It's an Old Testament book and there are lots of strange things in there. Uh, what to do when you find a bird's nest on the side of the road, how to build a house, how you should sow your fields, what sort of clothes you should wear. It's, there's some strange stuff in there. And why are we reading it? Uh, we're not Israelites. Uh, hasn't Jesus changed all this? Why can't we just stick with him? That's just the thing. By reading the Old Testament, we are sticking with Jesus because it's all about him. According to Christ himself, he makes sense of the entire Old Testament. He is, if you like, the whole picture that every bit of the Bible fits into. And so to really understand our Old Testament, we need to, according to Jesus, see how he makes sense of it. So what we're going to be doing with each of the talks through this Deuteronomy series is firstly what we'll see is that we'll look to Jesus and how he makes sense of each part of Deuteronomy that we're going to be looking at. Each, each time we'll see the whole picture of which each individual piece of Deuteronomy and how it fits in. So to that end, for this morning, if you could turn firstly, please, to Hebrews chapter 3. And we're going to see how Christ makes sense of Deuteronomy 1 so that we, we can then know what we're looking at when we get back to Deuteronomy 1. So Hebrews 3. Hopefully uh, you noticed as Deuteronomy 1 was read to us, Deuteronomy starts with the second generation of Israelites. Uh, the first generation came out of uh, Egypt from the Exodus um, but they died in the desert, and Deuteronomy 1 is recounting that awful catastrophe uh, where they didn't trust God, they didn't go into the land, and so they were not allowed to enter the land. And Moses recounts that catastrophe so that this new generation of Israelites won't make the same mistake. Thing is, though, as we turn to Hebrews 3, we discover from, from Jesus that actually all of this was written down for you and I. Uh, here we learn that it was actually us who had to learn from the mistakes of that first generation of Israelites. So Hebrews 3, I'll pick it up in verse 16. Verse 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. See, just as Israel was poised to enter the promised land, uh, we are poised to enter the true, far greater promised land of eternal life in the new creation when Jesus comes back. And just as Israel, that first generation, failed to trust God 
And so God refused to let them into the promised land. God will refuse us eternal life if we fail to continue with our trust in Christ until the very end. So the stakes are much higher for us than they were for that first generation of Israelites. They didn't trust God. They didn't have confidence in God. They rebelled against God, and so God refused them entry into the promised land. And what we're told here in Hebrews is that as we read Deuteronomy 1, we're to be looking for Israel's mistakes so that whatever we do, we don't make them as well. So turn back to uh, Deuteronomy 1 with me. As you're looking it up, a very quick sketch of what's happened so far in the Bible. Deuteronomy is the fifth book. There's four books of activity before we get to Deuteronomy 1. starts in Genesis, obviously, with uh, God creating the world and everything's good. It goes sour very quickly. Sin enters the world. There's now murder and death and deceit and lying. And uh, the world is then put under God's curse. Uh, God has cursed the world because of sin. But then God picks one man out of all the peoples, Abraham, and promises that through him he will reverse the curse, that through him he will instead bring his blessing to the entire world. Uh, God immediately starts coming good on those promises. Three or four generations down the track, though, uh, the descendants of Abraham find themselves in Egypt. They're outside of the promised land. Speed forward, 400 years. They're still in Egypt and they've now been turned into slaves. And so the Abraham's descendants and the promises of God, it looks terrible. It looks as if God's promises have been flushed down the toilet. But God comes, rescues his people, raises up his servant Moses. You have the ten plagues, the firstborn son, the parting of the Red Sea. God brings his people, this nation of Israel, that he's, he's, he's born out of Egypt, brings them to himself, reveals himself to them uh, up on the mountain, on Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb and uh, gives them his law and then says, right, now is the time to go. Now is the time to leave. Uh, It's been 400 years, but now is the time to collect the promised land, the land in which I promised to your forefathers, the land where you will be blessed and through you, blessing to the whole world. It's now time to go. So Deuteronomy 1 is where we pick up the action. Uh, So Israel, they're on the cusp of greatness and the fulfilment of God's promises, but they make a tragic mistake. So Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel in the desert east of the Jordan, that is in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth and Dizahab. It takes 11 days to go from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by the Mount Seir Road. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses proclaimed to the Israelites all that the Lord had commanded him concerning them. Look, I know there's a lot of place names in those couple of verses, but right from the outset, we're being told that something has gone wrong takes 11 days in verse 2 to get from, Kadesh ba, uh, from Mount Horeb to Kadesh Barnea. It takes 11 days. But then in verse 3 we're told it's the 40th year. 11-day journey, 40 years. What went wrong? If you walk under, a little under 15 kilometres a day, it'll take you 11 days to get from Dubbo to Orange. What if it took you 40 years to get from Dubbo? What went wrong? You know, we're holding the map the wrong way. Did you go on site? Look, what went wrong? That would take you 40 for Israel. What went wrong? 40 years, 11 day journey. What happened? Well, before we, we learn of their mistake, Moses wants to highlight the tragedy of their mistake by um, reminding us of what they turned their backs on. So have a look uh, down to verse 6. The Lord our God said to us at Horeb, You've stayed long enough at this mountain. Break camp and advance into the hill country of the Amorites. 
Go to all the neighbouring peoples in the Arabah, in the mountains, in the western foothills, in the Negev and along the coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates. See, I have given you this land. Go in, take possession of the land that the Lord swore he would give to your your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and to their descendants after them. This is the great promised land. If you look up those, uh, all those places in a map on the back of your Bible, you'll see that this land is vast. This promised land is great. It is big. It is the land that flows with milk and honey. This is the land that God had promised his people. This is the land that the God of all creation promised that he would give to Abraham's descendants and he's just ripped them out of slavery in Egypt. And he is saying, now's the time to go. Now's the time to collect. Go in, take it. It's yours. I'm giving it to you. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Skip across to verse 25. Verse 25, uh, before they go into the land, Moses uh, gathered up some spies, sent them into the land to try and find out, you know, what's the land like? What are the people like? What's the food like? What, what's this land? So the spies go in, they suss it out, and then they come back to Moses and the Israelites. Verse 25, Moses is talking about the spies, uh, taking with them some of the fruit of the land. They brought it down to us and reported, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. But you are unwilling to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, The Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart. They say, The people are stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. The report from the land is that it's good. But the people that are in the land, well, they're bigger, they're meaner, they're greener, they're leaner, they're stronger. They are enormous and we can't win. We can't. You should see their cities. They're even worse. Their walls, they go up to the sky. And Israel doubted doubted God's commitment to them. They were unsure that God was committed to them enough for him to be able to overcome their enemies and get them into the land. And so they were scared. But they shouldn't have been. Verse 29. Then I, that's Moses, then I said to you, do not be terrified. Do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes and in the desert. There you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. You can hear Moses, can't you? Come on, Israel. You know what what God did for us back in Egypt. You saw the plagues. You saw the hail. You saw the boils. You saw the darkness. You saw the livestock being killed. You saw the firstborn of all Egypt being destroyed. You saw the parting of the Red Sea. You saw God feed you in the desert with bread. You saw him give you water out of that rock. God has carried you like a father carries his son right from Egypt to this very place. What God did yesterday, he will do tomorrow Put your trust in the Lord. He will win for you. You will go in. Now, before we see how Israel responded, we know from Hebrews that Deuteronomy is written down for us. And like Israel, we're poised on the entrance of the promised land. Israel there, unsure of God's commitment, grumbled, lacked confidence. Maybe you're a bit the same. Maybe as you sit here this morning and you have your life and your burdens and your anxieties and your worries and your cares and you're not sure 
of God's commitment to you and you're not sure if you'll make it to the promised land, the promised land of God's new creation, and you're unsure, will I get there? Will God get me there? Is God really on my... Is he he committed to me to get there? But we do well to listen to the words of Moses. He said to the Israelites, look back. Look back at what God did for you in the Exodus. We're not to look back just to a piddly Exodus for you and I. We look back to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. Unsure of God's commitment to you, look back. And see God himself come in flesh. Not because he had to, but out of love. Look back and understand those nails that pierced his wrists and the nails that went through his ankles, not because he had to, but for your sake, out of love. Unsure of God's commitment to you, look back and see the cross and the empty tomb and know that God is committed to you. As Paul writes in Romans, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. If you are unsure of God's commitment to you, look back. 2,000 years ago, God wrote it in blood. He's committed to you. He will get you home. But look back to the Israelites. Uh, you've heard Mo- they've heard Moses' plea. And uh, what we'll see is that it was all for nothing, unfortunately, for Moses. Uh, we'll pick it up. In uh, verse 32, Moses just told the Israelites to look back to the Exodus. But verse 32, here it comes. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God, who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and in a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. They did not trust in God, we're told. They had no confidence in him. And so they refused to go in. And God's response to them was to punish them. That generation of Israelites, at the very least, that they would never enter his rest. Verse 34. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, not a man of this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to your forefathers, except Caleb son of Jephunneh. That is a massive, massive thing to say to that generation of Israelites because the promised land was their land. This is the land that God had promised to them. It was a huge part of what it meant to be a descendant of Abraham. This is what they'd been looking forward to for four centuries. This is what God had ripped them out of Egypt to be. They were to be God's people, living in God's land, to be blessed by God, to be his people. And on the cusp of it all, that first generation of Israelites turned their backs on it. They refused to trust God to get them in. They failed to follow him. They were unwilling to obey the Lord their God. And so they died in the desert out of the promised land. A tragic mistake. Last year I was mowing the lawn. And uh, I have this memory of my dad telling me when I was a teenager that you don't mow the lawn in the rain. Never told me why, but, you know, dad's a dad and... When they say things, you listen to them. But anyway, I was there last year mowing the lawn in the rain. I'm thinking, I feel like I'm still cutting the grass. This should be okay. So I keep mowing the lawn and the rain starts getting heavier. I start running up and down my lawn and I'm sure the neighbours are having a good old giggle at my expense. Uh, but I got to the end of it. it I was saturated, but my, my lawn was mowed. I thought, 
maybe Dad was wrong and it was all okay. So I put my lawnmower away and everything was cool. Of course, until the next time I went to go and mow my lawn and I thought, well, you know, Dad had a habit of being right about this sort of thing. So just, just, to, date, just to make sure, I had a check underneath my lawnmower to see what it was like to see if I could... It was caked thick with mud and dirt and, and grass and there was no way my lawnmower could mow anything and so I had to spend the next 45 minutes cleaning and getting filthy my lawnmower because my kids are going to learn from my mistake. I'm not just going to tell them, don't mow the lawn. I'm going to recount for them my, my story of, of the mistake I made so that they don't make it. That's what we're having here today in Deuteronomy 1. We have an account of the mistake of that generation of Israelites so that we don't make their mistake. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Pick it up in verse 19. Hebrews 3 verse 19. So we see, as we have just seen, that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands... I want you to think about that for a moment. Since the promise of entering his rest still stands, this day, as we sit here this morning, the promise of entering God's rest still stands. The promise of eternal life in his new creation still stands. The promise of life forever, free from fear and anxiety and worry, that promise still stands. Stands The promise of entering into a life which is only characterized by goodness and love and justice and safety and security and stability and peace still stands. The promise of eternal life, free from sin and sickness and death, the promise of true, real, blessed life to enjoy God forever, where he is your God and you are his child and he won't just dwell among you, but you'll see him face to face. The promise of entering God's rest still stands. Let us be careful, therefore, that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Do not make the same mistake as the Israelites. Our trust needs to be in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, for the right ordering of our lives, that he is our God and our saviour and our trust needs to stay in him, that we might enter into God's rest. Now for many of you, keeping your faith in the Lord Jesus, even right this very moment, is just a hard task. It's a hard ask because life gets messy and life gets painful and life gets complicated and you've got weary and you've got frustrations and there's things going on in your life and you're just not sure. In this, in these moments when tragedy strikes or injustice happens or you're just... Tired in these moments, in this life, will you trust in the Lord Jesus when he says, my kingdom is not of this world? Will you trust God when he says that life in this world for his people, it's not going to be rosy? It's not going to be easy. Will you trust him that he has a day coming when glory comes 
and eternal life in rest is coming and so that in this life in our troubles will you keep trusting him he hasn't let you down he's told us ahead that this life is not going to be rosy and in it in the pain and in the difficulty will you trust him the day is coming but i want you to notice something particular about verse one that it's not alan make sure you get to eternal life in the new creation look at verse one again let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it this is alan making sure everyone in this room stays christian and everyone in this room making sure that alan stays christian it is everyone in it for everyone we're to make sure that none of us fall short this is corporate this is a church family side by side for the sake of the other to stay christian when you walked in here this morning i'm hoping you walked in with the attitude I'm going to make sure that the person who's beside me walks out of here with their faith in Christ. We're to be the people who are standing side by side for the sake of the other to keep our trust in Jesus because a day is coming when rest will come. In order to do this, we've got to know each other. We need to be involved in each other's lives. It's very hard to encourage each other if we never meet. It's very hard to encourage each other if we don't know each other very well. We are going to need much more than nice cups of tea and polite conversation. We can talk about the football and the weather and our holidays and our children until the cows come home. And look, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that is all we talk about, it's not going to help us follow Jesus Christ to the new creation. We need to have an edge to our conversations. It doesn't mean that every single conversation needs to be a deep and meaningful and everybody's crying in tears because not every conversation needs, but it can't be that none of our conversations are. We need to be encouraging and spurring one another on because we're told here to make sure, be careful that none of us fall short of the rest that God has in store. Now look, if that's true for a church family, it's certainly true of individual immediate family so if i can just have a very quick word to families mums and dads if you have children please make sure you are doing what you can to see your children know and love and trust in the lord jesus until the very end they need a bed to sleep in they need food they need an education they need all that stuff it's true and it's right but it will not get them into god's rest you need to be bringing them up in the training and instruction of the lord Husbands, quick word to you. God has given you the charge as the head of your home to to lead your family in the things of God and in particular to lay down your life for your wife so that come that last day you can present your beloved to the Lord Jesus spotless and blameless. Husbands, love your wives with the gospel. Read the Bible with her. Pray with her. Pray for her. Of all people, make sure that she doesn't miss out. And if you haven't been doing that, and it might feel a little bit awkward because, hang on, we've been married for 20 years and we haven't done that sort of thing, it's never too late to start. Never too late to start. And I'm sure that in nine cases out of ten, 
If you suddenly turned up to your wife and said, look, I know we haven't done this for who knows how long, but would you read the Bible with me once a week and maybe we could pray together? What do you reckon your wife's going to say? She's not going to harangue you. She's not going to berate you for not doing this before. She's going to love you. Wives, make sure you love your husbands. Encourage them, spur them, submit to them, love them. Gentlemen, husbands, lay down your life for your wife with the gospel. But look, this is principally Hebrews 4. It's a church family. And what we are meant to be reading as we read Deuteronomy 1 is don't make the mistake of the Israelites. As a church family, don't make the mistake of the Israelites. Make sure that none of us fall short. Keep our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ through good and bad. We are to stand side by side, loving one another with the gospel of the Lord Jesus and being careful that none of us have found or fallen short of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus, who by his death and resurrection has secured eternal forgiveness of our sins, guaranteed us a place in your new creation, adopted us into your family as your sons and daughters. Father, we praise you for Jesus. Our confidence is in him. Our trust is in him. And Father, as we battle sin and the world and the devil and worries and all sorts of things, we pray that you would give us such clarity of thought to know that Jesus Christ is Lord, the one that, who died to save, that our faith would be in him forever. And Father, we pray for us as a church family that we would genuinely love one another in the gospel and we would share your word and we would encourage each other and we would spur one another on in love and good deeds until your son returns. Father, please, may none of us be found to have fallen short of the rest of the new creation that you have in store for your people. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.